And I don't know who's preaching Chris this morning, but it isn't me. Uh, usually let Colin sort that out. Um, and we're not having a Christmas, uh, we're not having a service next Sunday morning. So this is kind of my Christmas sermon today, my Advent sermon, okay? And uh, I could have go, gone back to Matthew and Luke and looked at the narrative of the birth of Jesus and but then I'd be tempted to explain all the things that popular tradition gets wrong, like the, a wise man came when Jesus was already two years old. <laughs> you know, they, they didn't arrive on the same night as the shepherds. You know, it was two years later that they came to Bethlehem and found them living in a house and all the rest of it. But I felt I'd rather go back to John chapter 1. Now, I preached through the book of Gospel of John. We finished in 2016, goes through the Gospel of John. But I've, I've just drawn back to John's Gospel again. And uh, for me, the first verses of John's Gospel are so familiar to me. I, I, I know them by heart. I even know the first couple of verses, even in Greek, would you believe, from when I was learning New Testament Greek. But never mind. Um, I'm going to read it to you. John chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 18. And then <clears throat> can go back and pick out some of the things from it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. There was a man sent from God, his name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. <coughs> he was in the world. And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom chest, heart of the Father. He has declared him. Holy Spirit, open up our minds, our hearts to Scripture and to your truth, the eternal truth of God, which is all focused on Jesus. Help us now, we pray. Amen. You notice along the way there, John deals with John the Baptist. John was the forerunner, a messenger of Jesus, because John the Apostle and of Jesus and the gospel writer was firstly a disciple of John the Baptist. And so he's, he's being very careful there. We're not talking about John, we're talking about Jesus, and John pointed to Jesus. 
the Baptist was not the Messiah, but a messenger announcing the arrival of the Messiah. You might wonder why these things are important, but decades later, Paul finds some people in Asia who had been baptized into John's gospel. You know, the Jesus was coming, and he said, didn't you hear about the Holy Spirit? Well, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they said. Oh, well, you need to be baptized into Jesus, he said. And so, you know, these things were current for some years afterwards, the people who had a misunderstanding about who John was and so on. So let's get in here. First of all, Jesus is God. Always was and always will be. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John dares to start this account by borrowing deliberately from Genesis 1, doesn't he? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Firstly, Jesus, who had not then, of course, been given the name, was before the beginning. God the Son, equal with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. He gained the name Jesus, which is in Hebrew Yeshua, which is God our Saviour, when he became man. He was named Jesus then. So here John can't call him Jesus yet because he's talking about when Jesus was the eternal God the Son and he calls him the Word. In John's Gospel, Jesus says in John chapter 8, Before Abraham was, I am. In fact, before the world was, Jesus was the I am. Second person of the Trinity. Jesus is God. Then John tells us that Jesus is creator. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He's the creator. In Colossians it says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. That's to say the natural realm and, and, and the non-natural or the supernatural spiritual realm whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him, and then he goes further and says, and for him. Jesus made all things, and they were made for him. You say, well, they were made for God. Yes, but in a particular sense, God created all things for his son, for the honor of his son, because God knew we would fall. God had prepared salvation and rescue and redemption. And he knew that Jesus would go to the cross. And all of these things are planned. And therefore, all things are for his sake. The glory will go to Jesus for all that he's done. And in Hebrews 1, verse 2, it says, God has spoken in these last days. By the way, when Paul wrote that, they were all ready the last days because the, it's the age of Messiah the last days of earth. He's spoken to us in these last days by his Son, whom is appointed heir of all things. He inherits everything. Through whom also he made the worlds. Through Jesus, God made the world. Through the Son, the Word. In Genesis, we read that God spoke a command and it came into being. But we also read before that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep of the, of the earth. John places Jesus right there in the creation narrative, in the events of Genesis 1 to 3. The command of God the Father went out and Jesus operated it. 
Jesus was the authority by which that word happened. He was the word of God. And then the Holy Spirit, obedient to the Father and Son, enacted it, made it happen. Sorry, that's the Thanos thing from... Jesus is our creator. All right? I think this is where, you know, people get into kind of creation versus evolution and science and all the rest. Here's here's the basic thing. If you do not accept Jesus as your creator, you're never going to be a Christian. (laughs) If he didn't make you. Yeah? Because we are being brought back to our creator. We're being redeemed. A few weeks ago, Luke 15, God is recovering what was lost through Jesus. And we are his lost creatures. He's lost children, being brought back to our Father. And Jesus is doing that because he is also our co-creator. It says, here if you want to kind of picture it as a picture, through him all things were made. He made all things. There's nothing that is made that wasn't made by him. Right? Nothing. Nothing happened without Jesus. Nothing oh, just worked out. It just kind of, you know, well, he started things and then they just worked out. No, he made all things as they are. Or before at least they fell and were corrupted by sin. Because when God made things, they were perfect. Jesus is our creator. You know, when, when someone becomes a Christian, they're like, oh, I'm going to become a Christian. That's a noble thing to do, yes. You're a creature being recovered. You're a child being, a lost child being brought back by the agency of God. Your creator and your redeemer. It's his grace that brings us to faith. Next thing is this. that the, I found, I'm trying to find a short way of saying this, but it's a long way. The life of God in Jesus is the light of the world. In other words, when you look at Jesus... You can see what God is like and the person and the life of Jesus is the light of the world. The light of God's own presence, nature, character, attributes shines through Jesus into all the world. Let's go back to John 1, 4 and look at it again. In him was life and the life was the light of men. You got it? The life in him is the light of men, of people. And then pictorially, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. Uh, There's an argument about whether we should take that Greek word there to say understand or overcome. But it's the same thing. If you don't understand it, then, you know, you're going to reject it. But the light actually overcomes darkness. You know, people think, oh, terrible dark times, darkness, darkness, darkness. One candle in a cellar stops it being a completely dark cellar. Yeah? Light always overcomes darkness because darkness is a negative thing. Darkness is just the absence of light. Darkness has no substance. Light has energy. The energy of light overcomes darkness. I'll stop the physics there because I'll get into trouble. I was never that good at it. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. Darkness cannot put out light. 
It's against God's created order. Light overcomes darkness. But the light is the light of God and it's seen by observing the life of God in Jesus. I say again to you, do yourself a favour, read the Gospels, get to know them. Through and through and through. Because when you see Jesus, you're watching God. When you hear Jesus, you're hearing God. Jesus came to the world, and in particular, to the Jewish people. You notice the way the Pope John writes that. He came to the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him. This was his creation, but the world did not know him. Who's this? Huh. He came to his own. We think that that's particularly speaking of the people of Israel, the Jewish people. The people that God has set apart to be special to him. Through this nation, I'm going to bless the nations. Through, through Abraham, and then the nation that came from Abraham. And then the seed of Abraham born into that nation. The seed is a capital S, it's a person, it's Jesus. The, through the seed of Abraham, he's going to bless the nations. The seed of Abraham is the title of Jesus. And he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Did not receive him is a very polite way of saying it when you read through to the rest of the gospel story and see how Jesus was rejected and abused, and wrongly condemned, crucified, taunted even while he was on the cross. His own did not receive him. I'm taking things a little bit out of order here. Let's, let's go on a bit. Jesus became and still is truly man. You know, we, we sing our Christmas carols and veiled in flesh the Godhead scene and so on, but we need to be careful in how we understand these things. All right? It says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He became flesh. One, we might say, or people do say, put on flesh. Well, that sounds a bit like one of those old Terminator movies, you know. Do you remember the old Terminator movies? Looks human. If Schwarzenegger looks human, I don't know if he does. Um, but inside, you know, he cuts away some flesh and he's a robot. He's a robot covered with a humanoid flesh. Yeah, you know, people don't like it, though. I didn't watch them for years, but they sometimes come on on Christmas so often you're bored and you think, oh. <laughs> Jesus did not put on skin. I know preachers have said that. Because that would say he's just on the outside, but on the inside he is. No. No. Jesus is not just human on the outside, but inside he's just pure God. He is truly, fully God and truly, fully man. He's man right through. He became human. That's the error, by the way, of some sects. You have to be careful to say that word. <coughs> Jesus, to some people, is not truly a man. He's just appearing to be a man. He took on the appearance of humanity. That's not true. That's a lie. Or he's really a man, but not really God. He just, he just he kind of God was in him. Somehow God put his spirit in him and Maybe made him a supercharged human, but he was essentially just human. That is also a lie. Jesus is eternally God, but became a man, and is now 
still and will be eternally human. He's been made like us in every way. God became man and lived amongst us. Think about it. Jesus didn't suddenly appear fully formed, you know, a bit like Adam, you know, created being with a, you know, a certain age and appearance and all the rest of it. No, he didn't suddenly appear. He was conceived in the womb of a virgin. He grew as a fetus, as a baby. That has some reflection upon human uh, reproduction issues, doesn't it? He was born perfectly normally. Umbilical cord was cut, all the rest of it. Eighth day, he was circumcised as a Jewish man, a boy. They took him to the temple and gave thanks for him as the end of the, the days of, the, of, a, of Mary's purification. He grew. He grew in wisdom. He grew in strength. Age of about 11, 12, 13, he's at the temple debating with the scholars because he's, he's already read through scriptures. And, but he grew. Now this is, to me, mind-boggling, that the eternal Son of God grew the way you and I grew. But that's what our faith is. He was and is fully human. He, did, he lived as we do, eating, drinking, sleeping, working, walking, <coughs> conversing but also reading scripture and praying. Things that we do, he did. Because he's an example to us in those things. And he never once disobeyed or dishonored the Father. Never once. He always pleased the Father. That's why he's the most remarkable human being. Because that was the opportunity Adam had to choose to please God and to be God's child forever, along with Eve. But Adam and Eve rejected God's authority and love and kindness and fatherhood. But Jesus came as the second Adam and overcame every trial, every temptation, every opportunity to dishonor the Father Jesus rejected and chose to honor God. He kept God's law, but more than that, he pleased the Father you know, you can say, oh, I'm not supposed to do that, so I won't do it. Huh. I'm not supposed to, oh, I won't do that either. Huh. Or you can say, no, how, what do I do to please God? How do I positively, energetically pursue pleasing God the Father? That's how Jesus lived. I always do the things that please the Father. His heart was reaching out for that. I'm going to do that now because that's going to please my Father. I'm going to do this next because that's going to please him. A time came when he suffered and died at Golgotha and his dead body was laid in a tomb. And three days later he took back his body in resurrection power. He ascended and entered into heaven as a man with a human name, Jesus. A man sits upon the throne of God and his name is Jesus. And one day every knee and every will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God to the glory of God the Father. God the Father is glorified because he's pointed to Jesus saying, glorify him and you glorify me. Worship him and you worship me. Psalm 14 says, sorry, my headline is, God may be seen in this man. 
in the discourse in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and then the prayer in 17, you know, Jesus talks a lot about there, about himself, about the Father, about the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he seems to me like Thomas, one of the twins, not, not Iscariot, Judas, uh, Judas, sorry, Judas, yes, says, uh, show us the Father and it's enough for it. Oh, please just show us the Father. He says, have I been all this time with you? And you still ask me to show you the Father? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you want to see? I just want to know what God is like. Look at Jesus. Oh, but we can't know how God... Yes, we can know what God is like. You look at Jesus. You behold him. The word became flesh, not took on flesh, became flesh, humanity, human, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. I remember preaching that one some years ago. Every time you see God appearing in the visual form in the Old Testament, apart from one once in Revelation, it's Jesus revealing God. It's the second person of the Trinity showing who God is and what God is. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom even things, new versions like the New King James still hang on to some old English words. That's a very old English word, isn't it? Bosom. It's chest, heart of the Father. He has declared him. Jesus not only came from the heart of God, he remained, this is the words that Jesus used himself, he remained in the heart of God. He lived in the heart of God. Always pleasing the Father. He remained in the Father's love. There's not, what, there's not one point in which Jesus fails to accurately show us the Father. It's not, you know, like a half-finished paint-by-numbers thing. Oh, I can see what it should be. It's not quite there. You know. No, Jesus totally shows us the Father. The Greek word is the icon. He's the image of God. That's what Hebrews says. Jesus is the image of God. The whole thing. The way he loved, the way he was merciful, the way he was just, the way he criticized the self-righteous, the way he was merciful to, to those who had fallen into sin and were, were lawbreakers and just, you know, they're brokenhearted about it. Remember the stories he told? Right, self-righteous man goes to the temple to pray. I thank thee, God, I'm not like other men, especially like him over there. Sinner over here beats his chest and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man went home justified, that went home, and his prayers didn't even, even enter heaven. He prayed with himself this way. And you say, oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. That's Jesus. That's God. What is Jesus is God. You can't make a separation between the two. So the Gospels... Invite us to come and see, you know, come and behold him, born the king of angels. The Christmas carols say that, and then, oh, come, let us adore him. But right through the year, we can read the Gospels and watch and listen to Jesus. We see a man, and in that man we see God. All Scripture is profitable, I believe that entirely. But as a first priority, especially for a new Christian, get to know the Gospels well. Memorize whole chunks of them. Because, you see, God... 
may be known and experienced in and through Jesus. When you come to Jesus and ask him to receive you and give you a new life, you begin to know God through Jesus. And it says in verse 16 there, of his fullness. Now fullness is a big word, right? You know, you might say Christmas afternoon somewhere around three o'clock or so, I'm really full. You know? Well, all you've done is you've filled your gut. But to be filled with God means you're, you're like totally, totally <gasps> energized, equipped, filled, overwhelmed by God's presence. Jesus was the fullness of God. And John says, and Paul says the same thing in one of his letters, of his fullness we have all received. God doesn't hold back on us, but he can only give us as much as we're prepared to take of his blessing, of his grace, of his presence, of his kindness, of his love, of his wisdom. If you don't ask, you don't get. And if you don't make space, you don't get. To quote John Glass from earlier this year. You have to make space. You have to make preparation. Say, I'm opening up a gap here, Lord. I want you to come and fill it. I'm opening up some space in my life for more of you. But it says here, of his fullness. Not all his fullness, because we need to make more room for more of his fullness. But of his fullness we've all received. And grace for grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Some people have the idea that you get saved by grace and then you kind of just make do your best until you go to heaven, you know. Well, I've just got to get along, you know, do my best. We receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. The prophet said his mercies are new every morning. It's a supply that doesn't stop. Grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was good. God's provision of, of, of uh, a right way of living and a right way of being as a society as well. The law was good. It, don't rubbish the law. Paul says it was good and true and holy and pure. But the problem is we weren't good enough to keep the law. Couldn't do it. It commanded something in me which I could not do. In fact, Paul in Romans says it is the opposite thing. Paul says, I didn't know what coveting was until the law told me not to covet and then I couldn't stop coveting. Stop desiring your neighbor's goods. Really? What has he got? <laughs> like telling a child, don't touch the cakes. What cakes? <laughs> the law provokes our wrongdoing because our sinful nature says, huh, I'm not being bound by that. So we needed something more than the law. Jesus came and brought us grace and truth. Now notice that, that's grace and truth. We need truth to challenge us and invite us to change. We then need grace to help us to receive the truth and change. Grace empowers us to receive the truth and to go with it. To believe it and to do it. To believe it and to change in that way. Grace empowers us step by step event by event in our lives, to find God's help and to keep growing up in God. Grace does that. But truth provokes us to call for grace. 
So when we read scriptures, we, we, oh, we're a bit disturbed by something. We're provoked by something. That's fine. It's God stirring you up so you ask for grace. And you receive his mercy and grace to try and help in times of trouble and you learn to change. You learn to grow in the grace of God. God's grace not only removes our past failure to, to, to live for the glory of God, it empowers us now to do that, to live for the glory of God from now on. Grace does that. Grace is not just mercy. Mercy acquitting you and forgiving you and, and, and putting away your sins. Grace empowers you to live. Paul even talked about the way he worked as an apostle, that it was grace that empowered him to do it. Yeah? It's an activity of God. That has to do with his, his love and his wisdom and his, 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 his empowering. Grace is a big word. And many Christians talk about grace like it's only forgiveness. Forgiveness is just the foothold of grace. There's a whole path ahead of you to keep growing in the grace of God. Grace upon grace. Grace and truth together are powerful. They are life-changing. Grace and truth. God's word, energized by his presence and power, gives us life. In fact, it's the life of Jesus, the life of God, what Jesus called eternal life. And then the other New Testament writers pick it up. But the phrase comes, first of all, from Jesus. Eternal life, the life of the ages, the life of eternity. Let me talk about eternal life for a minute or two. The little white letters in the corner you can't quite read are, what is eternal life? Eternal life. Eternal life is not merely living forever. Yeah? That's just longevity. Eternal life is having God's life in us, now and forever. Living in him and for him. Being empowered by him. Knowing the supply of the things that he gives us, his wisdom, his strength, his courage, his love. You know, Lord, I'm empty. Is a fine? That's fine, you're empty, because there's always supply. There's always supply. God, give me strength. We'll make it a prayer and it'll work. Yeah? God supplies us his own life, things which belong to him. He gives away a bit of his wisdom, a bit of his strength, and he's not diminished by it. God can give us all day, 24-7, however many minutes and seconds there are in 24 hours and seven days a week, because I'm not going to do it in my head. And he is not diminished in any way. He's limitless. He can give you grace and give you grace and give you grace and give you love and give you mercy and give you strength and give you knowledge and give you wisdom. And he is not little, belittled by it. He's not, his pockets are getting empty. He's a limitless God. We limit him by our not depending upon him and our asking of him. And we do live now with mixture and incompleteness. But Jesus promises us eternal life now, and John in his epistle says, we now have eternal life. He who believes in Jesus has this life, has eternal life. We have eternal life now if Jesus lives in us. And our response of working with this new life of God in us is to live with him and for him day by day. We're not yet changed enough to enjoy eternal life to the full. That's post-resurrection day, in the age to come, where we are being changed, and we can know we are now the children of God. Let's talk about this, verse 12, the children of God. The world didn't receive him, the 
people of Israel didn't receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority, the power to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. They don't have to keep the law. They don't have to become Judaistic. They have to believe in his name. Those who are born, not of blood, that's to, that's to say not natural birth, nor of the will of the flesh, someone deciding that they're going to have a child or they're going to be born, or the will of man, someone deciding for you perhaps. My child must be a Christian, so let's, 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 let's do the thing in the font and things. And now you're a Christian. You can't do that because you have to be born of God. You have to be born of God. Remember that was the discussion that Jesus then has in John 3 with Nicodemus. Pharisee, member of the Sanhedrin, an upright man. Let's not criticize the, those, all those Pharisees. They were doing their best to serve and love God. All right? They just didn't get the, the point in some cases. But Jesus told this upright, God-fearing man who has taken the huge risk of going to see Jesus himself to figure out what he's about and who he is. And he says to him, you must be born again. Let me say that again. People who are religious and go to church on Sundays must be born again. There's no opting out on this one. Oh, I, I'm not into born-again religion. I'm into, no, no, you must be born again. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You cannot enter into his kingdom unless you're born again. Born of God, born from heaven. Jesus says it three or four different ways. Born of the Spirit is another one. To those who believe in his name, they become the children of God, and by God's will, by God's power, they are born again. They don't go back to being babies, but they begin a new life because God has started a new life in them. And it's radical enough to be born again. Born of God is not a matter of natural descent. It's not a decision you make or one made for you. God brings us to new life and we believe in his son. We have, the, we have been energized, we've been empowered to become the children of God and we receive of his fullness and grace upon grace. So this Christmas you might enjoy a feast or two or three. Some of us go to official meals. I remember one year when I went to about four or five different Christmas dinners, you know, official things, work things and all the rest. Carl's doing better than me this year on that. But, but when we're feasting, it is Christmas, we're to be remembered that the Lord Jesus came, born in Bethlehem, and also to think through why he came. He came as God to seek what God had lost, to seek and save us, lost from God, without him, without hope in this world. He came to bring us back, back to life, back to faith, back to obedience, back to the Father's eternal kingdom. When this age of the gospel and grace has run its course, we will be the children of God with our Heavenly Father, gathered with around our Lord Jesus forever. To us, today, too, is born a Saviour. That's message to the shepherds, wasn't it? To you is born today in Bethlehem a, a Saviour. Jesus, Messiah, the Lord. He's our Saviour. Jesus, the Messiah. 
the Lord. Let me close this by a quick run through the rest of John's Gospel. <laughs> what, 21 chapters? Yeah, no. Jesus, John in his Gospel points to seven great signs that Jesus is God and seven statements where Jesus says, I am. And the I am, if he was speaking in Hebrew, would be Yahweh, the, the, uh, the name of God. Seven great I am statements by Jesus. Let me just, oh, it's too small for you to read. Really. Never mind, sorry. They're in this order as you go through John's Gospel. I won't give you all the references. You can find them in the notes. You can look them up very easily. I am the bread of life. Let me explain what Jesus did not say and what he did say there. Jesus does not just give us bread to eat, as Moses did. He doesn't just give us our daily bread. You know, we pray, give us our daily bread, which I think includes all sorts of things we need from God, not just the bread on our foot tables. He does not just give us bread. He is the bread. Yeah? The thing you most need in life is not food today, but Jesus. He's the very center of your needs. He's the bread of life. Therefore, the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with God, through, with God through Jesus. He's the bread of life. He's the light. He's the living bread. Okay. Okay. That's in the same one, really. Anyway. It's, it, it, they haven't done this from seven them. He's the bread of life and he's the living bread. So he's the bread that gives life and he's the bread that is alive. Yeah? There's life in him. We don't remember Jesus said in the past, he was good man, great job done, thank you, yeah. You know, celebrating great lives, you know, remembering great people, the obituaries. There's no obituary for Jesus Christ. He's the living God. He's the living bread. When you feed your heart on him, you become more alive. <laughs> you become more awake, more alert, more of, a, more of a living being than ever. Next one. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus does not just give light. I was talking to a couple of Hindu people recently, dear people, lovely people, uh, you know, you know, Jesus is a way to God and, and we respect all ways to God and there's only one God and I'm thinking, I understand what you're saying but you're wrong. Jesus does not just give light and there are other people who also gave light. He is the light of the world. All the light that we need, all the understanding, all the revelation about who we are and who God is and what that means for us and what we need to do about that is in Jesus himself. He is not a light, he is the light. Because he puts an I am in, I am on it. I, God himself, am the light of the world. God now, as a man, says to you, I am the light of the world. Then Jesus is... <clears throat> I am above. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I should have looked at that screen quicker, better before I did it. Let's go on to the next one for me. Jesus is the door or the gate of the sheep. He's the door or the gate. 
Again, it's not a door. There are many ways to God. You can go this way or that way, you know. No, he is the door. If you enter through him, you get to live. And if you don't, you stay dead. There's only one door. It has the name Jesus on it. It's an open door in this gospel age. People are, whoever may come, it's an open door. But the door is Jesus. There's only one door, and it's him. He doesn't just open a way for us. Sorry, I'll come back to that in a minute. Jesus is himself the good shepherd. I'm going to stop looking at those because they're misleading you and me. Jesus is himself the good shepherd. They, Israel had a lot of bad shepherds over the years. Only a, only a few good kings and one, only a very few really good kings. Uh, northern kings were pretty much all bad. The southern ones ended up getting from bad to worse. Jesus comes along and says, I'm the good shepherd. I'll rule over you and care for you and I'll feed you and I'll rescue you and I'll give you to drink and I'll take care of you because I'm the good shepherd. And then he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Listen, Jesus doesn't just make resurrection happen. He is the resurrection. When when he turns up, you can't stay dead. (laughs) Yeah? I mean, don't invite Jesus to a funeral because he's going to spoil the party. (laughs) Go home. No party. He's alive again. (laughs) Maybe they had a party because he was alive again. I don't know. Yeah? I am the resurrection and the life. He makes things alive. That's what's so terrible about Christianity being a kind of dead, boring religion, isn't it? He's the prince of life. He makes things really alive. And then he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, we sing some good songs, but you know, a lot of songs just needed one line fixing to be better. And there's at least two songs I can think of that, you know, they're good songs in many ways, but they sing, he came, he made a way, or, you know, uh, he came to show us the way. And it's like, no, he is the way. He didn't come to make a way or show us a way. He is the way. You don't follow a way, you follow Jesus. Because he says he, he is the way. And when when the early disciples were called followers of the way, before they were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. That was saying they were following Jesus. They were following him. He is the way. He is the truth. He's not one truth among many. Oh, you know, you can believe in Jesus, or you can choose this, or you can choose that. No, he is the truth. And again, he is three times, four times now, he is the life. Jesus doesn't give us some truth that we need or would be helpful to us. He doesn't, he's not just some great teacher. He is the truth. The words are lived out in his life. They're embodied and exampled. He is the truth. And then he's the, lastly, the true vine. Now that's an image of Israel, the people of God, from Abraham through Isaac through Jacob, 12 tribes, down to just a rump, of two or three tribes with remnants from the others eventually. The people of Israel. Jesus stood and daringly said, you remember the vine picture of Israel? I am the true vine. 
In other words, he claimed to be Israel embodied. So everybody who believes in Jesus is in Israel. And everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus isn't in Israel. He talks about the vine and the branches and all the rest of it. I'm the true vine, he says. Every branch in me bears fruit. But if there's a branch in me in Israel that doesn't bear fruit, it will be cut off. Because he's the true vine. Now that has some implications, I know, for some views of people's last days, things, and Israel and the Middle East and so on. But I have to say to you, that's exactly what Jesus was saying. I am the true vine. I'm the Israel of God. So we Gentiles, you know, who were wandering around in our cove, in our caves and holes in the ground in northern Europe or whatever else, when things were going on in the Middle East, we, you know, let's face it, we, we weren't noted for being civilized at this end of the world. But we get to be in Israel if we're in Jesus. That's what the message of, Rome, of Ephesians 2, 3, and 4 is about. We who are strangers and foreigners and aliens and outside of the commonwealth of Israel are now joined in through faith in Jesus. It's one new man in Christ Jesus. Israel's become a new order of things in him. It continues on from the old, but it's, it's, it's changed shape because it's now Jesus. He's the true vine. To bring that down to a very simple, practical level. He says, if you're in me, you'll bear fruit. And we will, my father and I will tend you, we'll take care of you, so you, you, take, you bear more fruit. I was sitting opposite a guy, eating dinner Wednesday night, who's Greek, grew up in Cyprus, he speaks Greek. And he's, he knows the New Testament in Greek, and we'll crop in a few comments, and he made one I've yet to check out about that, that chapter about the true vine and the branches. And when I've checked it out, maybe I'll come back with a revelation. <laughs> Store that up for now. I don't want to say something I'm not too sure about yet. Right? I was interested. He takes care of his branches. So they, even if they're fruitful, they, he wants to make them more fruitful. But what is unfruitful will be cut off. You can't bear fruit unless you're joined to Jesus. You can't live a successful Christian life. You can't be, you know, the, 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 a, a solid believer and, and be, be fruitful and grow in the grace of God if you don't stay close to Jesus. Live in me. Let my words live in you. He says it again and again in different stories, in different ways. You need to be connected to Jesus in a relationship where you are drawing on his life. His life is flowing into you. That's how to be a Christian, folks. It's not about a scorecard of Sundays and Bible readings or whatever else. Those things are good. Those disciplines and routines of life are good. But essentially, they're there to help you to stay connected into Jesus. To know him personally. To be receiving his life. Jesus. If you have him, you have life. Without him, you're dead. If you live in him and with him and for him, you have the life of God. You have eternal life. And to quote Galatians, Paul there says, the life that I now live in my human body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that your life? Is that the way you live? Are you born of God? 
do you have eternal life? Has it started? Let's pray. Let's close our eyes and pray to you. <clears throat> Father, bow our hearts in these moments. You have made your son Jesus to be everything to us. Even those I am's do not say everything of who he is and what he is to us. We come again to say, fix my heart on Jesus. Holy Spirit, draw me and bind me close to him. Let me see him. Let me know him. Love him. Obey him. Let me learn from him and walk in his ways. I just want to ask anyone here who doesn't know that you're born of God, you thought it happened this way or that way, but it's actually God himself who gives you new birth. And you're not sure that you're his child. You're kind of figuring it out, wanting it to be so. You've got kind of half-formed thoughts about these things. Please, make your appeal to God through Jesus right now. Say, God, in Jesus' name, please receive me. Please make me your child. Please let me have new life through believing in Jesus. That'll do. That'll do for a prayer for this morning. Really, seriously, that will do for your prayer. Why don't you pray something like that to him right now? Thank you, Father. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him Christ the Lord oh come oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to break bread together. Again.